Hello, I'm Charlotte Hawkins and welcome to Last Past and Blast. Each week we'll delve into the musical lives and memories of a different guest and each guest will choose three pieces of music. Their last, the latest piece of classical music they've been listening to, their past, a significant piece of classical music from their life and a blast, their wild card. So keep an ear out for guilty pleasures with that one. Together we'll explore the way music has shaped their lives and what it means to them. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with musician, TV presenter, radio host and my lovely friend, Mylene Class. We spoke about the recent challenge of homeschooling and how it spurred her on to set up her own online music classes, why her dad was livid at her decision to join the pop band Hearsay, plus the one thing her family battles over, who's going to be the car DJ? Hope you enjoy it. Here's the episode. Mylene, thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast and it's lovely to see you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's nice to see a friendly, very glamorous face. Oh, it kind of, it's been all a bit strange, hasn't it, in the world over recent times, but it's nice that things are starting to get back to hopefully a little bit more normality. It's a funny one because I think when you've got children, I think they ask you or expect you to make sense of the world. And when you can't make sense of it yourself, it's a tricky one, isn't it? How do you explain something that nobody understands themselves? I love the fact that you've been keeping yourself busy you know not only have you been doing the broadcasting and everything else but you've got this amazing online music class that you've been doing I do not know how you found the time to fit everything in but tell us how that came about so it came about when we were first issued with homeschooling proceedings that's the only way I can put it because it was terrifying I think <laughs> like every mum across the planet suddenly we, I, I it was just so terrifying that not only did you need to be an expert in every single field but you'd also have to be able to run a household and work if that's what you were doing as well and just keep the whole thing all those balls in the air and I've never felt more busy in my life and half as productive so just trying to get all of the things done that I normally do is taking even longer but I've got a mum's whatsapp group and one of the mums just turned around and said how are we going to do all these lessons and I said well I can do the music lessons and music ties in beautifully to English and history and maths and I spoke to the girls about it and they were totally up for it. So I don't know how we managed it in between homeschooling and everything else, but they loved it. I can't lie and say it was easy because it certainly wasn't. And coming up with different ideas and making sure it was accessible so that if you don't play an instrument, we could make sure that we are covering all abilities, all ages. But we managed it between us to the point that by the end of it, both my girls were just taking my phone and going off and filming their own music classes. And I just posted them because they were just so... they were you know they were so good they put me to shame I absolutely love the fact that they got so on board with it and they were obviously so engaged with what you were doing you all just looked like you were having such fun at the same time you know making it really appealing for people to want to watch and like you say and engage even if people didn't play a musical instrument it was kind of the sort of thing that would intrigue and attract and fascinate anybody who just wanted to learn a bit more about music. That's always been really important to me. So I used to teach the piano from the age of 13. That's how I used to get my pocket money. And I found that if 
the pupil didn't understand the lesson. It wasn't their fault. It was mine. I wasn't making myself heard. I wasn't being clear enough. When you've had that kind of training behind you or that kind of experience, it's really nice to then be able to put it into practice as to how you can communicate something to not just one pupil, but to many pupils, a, a variation of ages and abilities and also faceless. You don't necessarily know who you're speaking to. We bought ourselves a whiteboard. We went old school and we got marker pens, which didn't work as well. And we just put together lessons from every single thing we thought, well, what's going to be useful? If you're sitting down, uh, people just love, you know, a pub quiz fact. Did you know that if you can tap out this rhythm, it sounds like scrambled eggs, scrambled eggs. Do you know that scrambled eggs was the first line that Paul McCartney used for um, yesterday and so on. And we just tried to make it factual and fun. And the interesting thing is that actually, when I said to the girls that you're breaking up for school this week, why don't you have a little rest? Um, everyone else is going to be tying up their lessons as well. Hero burst into tears and she said, I don't want the music Aww. classes to end. And I thought, well, that's got to be a good sign. I've had um, teachers who've added our music classes to the curriculum. So I've had my own friends saying, look what's on our agenda today and sending me our classes back to us, which was just incredible. One person, a friend of mine in particular is a midwife and she works for the NHS. And when she sent through her son's homework, which was Marlene Class's music class, I just couldn't believe it because she's out there doing the most amazing things. And it just felt like I was doing my tiny, tiny little bit if it was helping key workers, children or anybody, any mum that was just feeling stressed out with homeschooling. It was just a really, really satisfying feeling. And the girls have absolutely loved it. They've loved every second of it. Well, it was brilliant. And I love the fact that they're so into their music. I mean, with them, obviously, you know, you're into it. So they've been surrounded by it, I imagine, from a really young age. I love watching you and Apollo and he's trying to join in playing the piano oh, as wow. well, isn't I mean, he? He's, he's, he's what are they called? A positive disruptor. He's in every single <laughs> lesson trying to get involved now. And he's learned that if you hit something, you get a response. Um, so yeah, he loves playing the piano and the drums. But I think, again, as a musician, I hate that people feel intimidated by music. And I feel that when it comes to classical music, for example, people feel there's so many rules and regulations. They don't know how to listen to it or it might seem boring or, you know, if it's in another language, it might seem unaccessible. And I think the same thing with pop music. If you then feel intimidated by that genre, how do I get into it? Am I cool enough to listen to this song? And all these rules. It's like the Emperor's New Clouds syndrome. You know, everybody feels the same way, but nobody wants to speak up. And it's a nice thing to be able to say, look, Mozart, no doubt about it, was a genius, but also he was human. And my daughter was obsessed with the fact that he kept so many pets Aww. and he could play the piano with his nose. And suddenly you start humanizing them and then suddenly you start listening to their music in a completely different way. And then you think, well, I can play those pieces. My daughter, she's just taken her grade eight piano Amazing. and the most exciting music class for her was blowing up a bin bag and hitting a rhythm on a bin bag. And I said, to her, are you sure? And she's, yeah, but it's just a really satisfying sound. And I just thought, well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's own right. You can't get grade eight and blowing up a bin bag though. That's the only thing. <laughs> uh, honestly, I couldn't have bet on what she was going to say, oh. but I certainly, certainly wouldn't have bet on that. I was shocked, but really happy. No, it's absolutely brilliant. And you know, you've done such a great job. So amazing work on your part. For you, when Blackmail, your... there was a lot of blackmail involved. I don't know what we just say <laughs> was there is that how it was is that the trick one more take go on I'll give you a bag of chocolate buttons one more take <laughs> <laughs> so you run out of chocolate in the whole house but they've done a brilliant job with all the music that's it. I like that's it. it 
Yeah, it's the well-known mum's trick, isn't it? I have to say. But you engaged my five-year-old. Ah. She was absolutely loving it. And you've inspired her because there's one particular one where you turn around and do your party trick <laughs> of playing the piano backwards. And she has not stopped going on about it now. I think this has kind of set her on the course that this is what she's determined to do, that she wants to learn the piano well enough that she can play backwards like you do. So thank you for that. Why not? Why not? Everybody <laughs> needs, everyone needs one party trick yeah absolutely and that's a great one um when did it all start for you then with with classical music how young were you when you first got into it when you first started listening to it so for me I've never not had classical music in my house in my surroundings on my dad's side he's from six generations of classical musicians and I totally took it for granted growing up because I used to I wouldn't go as far as say hate it but I went through a whole Kylie phase and we used to drive to Ross and Wye where my Austrian grandmother used to live she was an opera singer and, and and my dad would play Wagner and I would just think this is so unfair because I play a three minute pop song and then he gets 15 20 minutes of the song he chooses uh but then I think it just goes into your body and rather than sort of fighting against it I started listening and understanding it and then I the pendulum swung the other way and I started looking forward to it but it wasn't really until I went to music college that all the pieces of the jigsaw clicked for me where I actually realized hang on all these pieces that I've been listening to they actually all lead to this one group. I finally found my tribe, people that liked pop music and that liked jazz and that liked listening to so many different genres and loved classical music on top. And then I realized, well, hang on a minute, I've been listening and playing these pieces since I was four years old. And it was just nice that it all just came together. So what age were you when you started playing music then? I was about four years old. So I started the piano and I was given my grandfather's violin. He was a choreographer of the Viennese opera. Obviously it was far too big to play. And he used to have a mandolin that used to sit in the corner. I never met him. He died before I was born, but his legacy lived in our household. It was just something that was always there. So to be able to then play the piano and then the violin and then graduate up in the different sizes to then actually be able to play his violin, that was a really big deal. Yeah. But I don't play the violin anymore because I've soon realized that actually nobody, no one should be subjected to my playing. <laughs> <laughs> I used to play the violin. It's bad, it's bad. Say, that is the one instrument I would not want to go back to because it's really hard when you're a beginner until you kind of get over that curve of the learning phase. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's not necessarily a good sound for everybody else in the house to hear. Violins and recorders, they're satisfying to play yourself, but for anyone else that's listening, it's just quite unfair, really. <laughs> it can be torturous, you're right. You then went on to have this education in music. What difference did that make for you then when you were there surrounded by people, like you say, that were like-minded, where you say you found your tribe? It was a huge deal for me. And I also realised I had a lot to catch up with as well. So I grew up in Norfolk and I just went to normal state schools and uh, then to attend a music college at the weekends. I went to the Guildhall first and then later I joined the Saigon School where you were trained up to go into the show or at least had a better chance of being able to audition for the show. So I then was travelling to London two to three times every single week. And by immersing myself in that music and things I genuinely loved, it was just a real eye opener for me. Initially, I found myself travelling down to London and trying to race back to Norfolk because I had total FOMO. I didn't want to miss out on what my friends were doing. But soon again, that swung around the other way. And I started trying to stay in London a little bit longer. And it was just a lovely feeling that I could go to live concerts. I remember paying three pounds, queuing up to go to the uh, Royal Albert Hall. I brought my own food in my bag because I was such a poor student. 
didn't. But I remember hearing, um, we, we went to see Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet, and the vibrations as they, as they, you could feel them through the floor and I could see how excited all my friends were as well by this. It suddenly didn't feel weird that I wasn't into horses or sport, but I was into music and it was okay to be into music because where I grew up, it was always definitely seen as one of the softer subjects. You certainly could never make a career for yourself from it. At the time then, did you think this is what I want to make a career out of? Or were you sort of thinking, you know, I love music, I'm into it, I'm going to follow this, but I don't actually know whether I'll be able to do this in my future? Something I try to do with my daughters is irrespective of what they're going to go into, they're very sciencey, both of them. But I think the most important thing is to introduce jobs that they might not necessarily even know of, because that's where I struggled. I thought, well, I could play in an orchestra, but I don't know if my sight reading is good enough to do that. I'd like to be the conductor, but again, ditto the sight reading. And those are kind of the only two jobs I really understood you could go into from the world of music, unless you were going to be Mariah Carey and there's only one Mariah. So I didn't really know of any other jobs. Um, for a while, I became a session musician because I wasn't the best singer, but I was the, one of the best sight singers. <laughs> there's a difference there. You you can continue jobbing because it's, it's a real skill to be able to sight read music and quickly. So I got jobs that way but I didn't even know that job existed and I think it's so important just to be able to open up doors and say look these jobs are out there and I'm trying to prep my children and I'm sure you are as well for jobs that we don't even know exist yeah so I think it's just about trying to make sure they've got as big a skill set and an understanding of all genres of all of the music world or of every I suppose part of the moving world as we know it anyway yeah I mean it's it's fascinating I find with you because obviously you've got this massive classical background that was a huge part of your life growing up but you obviously always loved pop music as well because I've got to talk to you about pop stars about hearsay <laughs> about how that kind of then thrust you into monumental success in the pop world didn't it which must have been I guess such a huge change was it from what you were doing or did you just think this is a great opportunity I'm going to go for it so after after the guild hall I got into the Royal Academy of Music I finished my studies at the academy and that to me was genuinely coming home to know that I was walking around those halowed corridors of uh, the same school that Elton John had attended amazing and, and it, that to me was another level to walk around those corridors and past all the practice rooms and hear different instruments different pieces that was Honestly, that was heaven. That and the vending machines. It was just heaven. <laughs> I have good vending machines, they? They have really good vending machines. And I was on Baker Street. So, you know, that was in the hub. I was plugged into the hub. I could go to concerts all the time. I could queue up for my £3 tickets, my student discount. I was in absolute heaven. And then two days after I graduated, I uh, got a role in Miss Saigon. And that was a really big deal for me because that's what I'd been training to do for so long. Amazing. And I did a, well, I did a year in that show. And then I realized I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do the same oh. thing every single day. Oh, no. <laughs> I loved it. Do not get me wrong. Some of the best times of my life. But I realized I wanted to do something different. I was doing um, a lot of session musician work. So I was a backing singer for Katie Lang and for Michael Crawford. I did his tour and singing for the Lily Savage show. All of these things were going on and they were, you know, I was sort of ticking by. And then I was offered the role of Mary Magdalene. Uh, with that in mind of what I just said about Miss Saigon, I just thought, well, do I want to do the same thing every single day for another year? And at the same time, yeah. Hearsay came along as well. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and join a pop band. And I was guaranteed <laughs> six weeks work over Christmas, which I thought, yeah. well, that's brilliant. That'll and, pay the rent. Uh, 
Well, my dad was livid with me for not taking uh, Mary Magdalene because I suppose it's quantifiable. It was a year, you, you know, I knew what I was getting myself into. Being in a pop band, he was right. I most certainly did not know what I was getting myself into. But interestingly enough, I realised that actually in the music world, or so, should I say the music business, it's less about music often and more about business. So I had a baptism of fire in the world of business very, very quickly. But I think for you, then it sounds like you've followed your heart. You've gone with the opportunities, but you've sort of stuck to those things that make you happy. Is that right? Then you've yeah. just kind of forged a path and thought, do you know what? I thought this was what I wanted to do but I've realized this isn't for me. Let's move on to the next thing and kept an open mind at the same time. It's that freedom of when you're young, you can do those things because suddenly when you have a family to support and you've got a mortgage to pay, suddenly being free seems like a really fun dream, but it's it's not very responsible. So I look back and I think, well, you know what? I joined a pop band when I was in my early twenties, which is the best time to do it and to see the world and to live with your friends and to not have any worries. You know, I genuinely slept without a single worry, which I don't do now because you've got children you're just always thinking and always worrying but it was just such a brilliant time and I really did enjoy learning about the business side of music as well I remember we played Wembley and we opened our doors late and one of our vendors opened late where we were selling dealy boppers and our takings were lower than any other day because of our dealy boppers not because of our ticket sales which is as many musicians will tell you that's not where they make their money it's for merchandise and that opened my eyes so it's too. the dealy boppers it was the dealy boppers the little, little dealy boppers <laughs> and I just thought well isn't that interesting Interesting. And so rather than see it as a bad thing, I thought well, actually you can marry the two. And that it's I love to see that artists like J-Lo and Madonna and all of these incredible artists, they balance a business life with it. They're not mutually exclusive. Why should you just be one thing? And I, I think it's interesting, when, especially more so with women, when you see, you know, I like Rihanna, I like Beyonce. I love to see how they've developed both a brand and held on to their musicianship more so than ever. I like to see women with so many facets to their working life and to their personalities. Mm. No, I think it's a great point. And I think also sort of seeing things as a learning opportunity, even if things don't maybe go, you know, quite as you expect them to go. But there's well, that always was here things... in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always things that you then learn from that, that you're like, actually, I can kind of take that and I'm going to use that for whatever happens next time, isn't there? Very much so. And I think after Hearsay ended and I went back to my classical roots, there was something quite reassuring about going back to the world that I really felt comfortable in, but also being able to apply the pop sentiment to it. Because let's be honest, you know, the ring cycle and all five hours of it is a little bit much for anyone to try and listen to, but three minutes is just, just right. So <laughs> it, it was just nice to be able to, again, marry those two worlds and use everything that I'd learned there as well. So nothing is nothing's really forgotten or taken for granted. It's the case of just learning and using what you've learnt for the next phase. So you came back to the classical world. You had your brilliant solo classical albums. And I love the fact that, you know, you were talking earlier about making it accessible to people, sort of not putting anybody off with having a certain style of classical music, but you had a kind of different take on some of the classical pieces and, and mixed in contemporary pieces as well to make sure that it appealed to more people at the same time. Well, you, here's the thing. I'm also an audience member and I think there does become a sort of snobbery when it comes to how the purists listen to classical music. And it's very important that we have purists that maintain a certain level of classical music and protect it in the way that it was intended. But also music has to live on. It has to move on. Otherwise you, you do a massive disservice to whoever wrote it in the first place and you kill them off and therefore you've immediately lost a composer that deserves the right to live on. And I think the way that people canonise Mozart and Beethoven and Tchaikovsky and all of these composers that actually does them a massive disservice. A lot of them were 
quite rock and roll and and you know they'd be making the front pages were they alive today so I think actually use what you know about them keep them as humans as opposed to saints and make them accessible so that when you have a child that comes along and says well I, I don't understand a single thing that this piece is doing I don't understand why it's interesting they don't even know necessarily what they're even listening to you can break it down this is where he was heartbroken this little interlude is where his parrot used to sing and he so he put it into the music this bit is where he actually ran out of time and he just took another section and plagiarized himself or took another uh, section from someone else's piece and popped it in, which is what we do all the time. Uh, when we were looking at Packerbell's Canon for Marlene's music class, the girls were enthralled that every single pop song is now worked around those few chords, which then led us on to looking at the circle of fifths. And uh, my own children were still learning from this, even though they live with me and I'm always going on about it all, but they just said, <laughs> okay, okay, it's clicked now. I get how they all marry up. And for them, they don't think twice about saying Mozart, Dolly Parton, Madonna, Beyonce, and putting all of these artists together as just artists they like, as opposed to trying to impress or trying to intimidate or, or mm. just thinking they're saying the right thing. They're just good artists. Mm. And rather than putting people in a, in a certain bracket as well, in a sense, but just thinking, well, I, I like this piece and I like that piece. It doesn't matter what genre that's in necessarily. Well, I used to have critics who used to listen to performances or pieces and, and, and oh my God, it was so negative. And I just thought, well, there's very, very few concert pianists like Lang Lang and Benjamin Grosvenor who really can cut it. And then actually... That's how it is supposed to be anyway. There's not enough room. There's how many Nigel Kennedys can the world have? There's only one <laughs> Nigel Kennedy. That's why he's so amazing. We can't have 50 exactly. Nigel Kennedys. Um, yeah. But you still can enjoy music. That snobbery around music kills me. It really does kill me because I just think, you know, you might eat a cake and I might eat the same cake and you might add more flour and I might add more sugar, but we're both right because ultimately mm. it comes down to how we like our cake. And it's the same yeah, with music. And the cake's going to taste nice at the end of the Absolutely. day, isn't it? You know? It's just, I just look at me, I'm like trying to break it down for kids, but I do genuinely <laughs> think that nobody's necessarily right. It is just down to taste at the end of the day and that judgment that's applied, especially more so to classical music, because I think just by its nature, it is a highly superior form of music and so many people plagiarize from it whether they're rappers or pop stars but ultimately can't you just enjoy a good song absolutely and talking about good songs let's talk now about the pieces of music that you've chosen as your your favorite pieces the ones we're going to yeah. talk about today so tell me what the last piece of music is what's the latest piece that you've been loving listening to so that would be Debussy's Prelia de la Fremini d'Enfant And for me, I love that piece because it was a piece that was introduced to me when I was at high school. It was played to us and we were given no backstory whatsoever. We were just told, here's a piece, it's French. Here is Prélude de l'après-midi d'enfant, write about what you hear. And what I thought was so spectacular is even though I didn't know what I was listening to, I did hear the woodland come alive and I did hear the fawn and I did hear the birds. And when it was explained afterwards, I thought, well, actually, I heard all of those things. It didn't need to be explained to me or broken down. How magical is that, that without any backstory, any information, it was so clearly depicted by the composer that it actually did speak to my 11-year-old, 12-year-old self. 
I love that. And the fact that I think that sometimes when you have a piece of music like this that you've known for a long time that you can listen to, I mean, is this one that you go back to then and you listen to and you think, yeah, this is one of my favorites that I love listening to? I think what's so lovely, especially when I play it now on the radio, is that I hear something different every single time because I think that it was written so cleverly, even though it's now so many years old, it's still so current. You could put it as a backdrop on any movie, any modern day movie, and it would seem so current and so appropriate because it's written in such a way that it feels like it's improvised. It feels like someone came along and was just playing the flute in such a beautifully improvised way. But actually, good old Debussy, that's what he does. He he makes it sound so simple and it's so intricately difficult. And yet every single note has meaning. Everything means something. There's no accidents here. This is not accidental genius. And I think that's what's so so lovely to listen to as well, just knowing that he knew exactly how he wanted it to sound. And when do you find yourself listening to classical music. I mean, obviously you and I present our Sunday evening shows on Classic FM. So we're very lucky that we get to sit there and listen to amazing pieces of music on a regular basis as part of our work anyway. But when you're at home, when you're traveling around, you know, are there certain times in the day where you think, do you know what? I really just need to take a moment and listen to some music now. I listen to music all the time. I love to have music around me all the time. I think the very few times where it's silent in my house is when I'm just trying to get the baby off to sleep. But other than that, (laughs) if I'm on a shoot and I want to feel sort of invigorated or pepped up or if I'm on a shoot and I'm trying to wind down afterwards or if I'm just working at home I I just I love to have the company of music the only time I have to I am careful with my choices is I play by ear a lot I can hear chords all the time and sometimes if I'm doing something that requires my absolute attention I have to turn the music off otherwise I start writing down the chords (laughs) now (laughs) you get sidetracked I'm no Mozart but I do just to hear the chords and that can be really distracting because then I just just go off with the music and and, uh, yeah I'm not paying attention to very much then oh no I think that's brilliant though and I mean would you use it to change your mood if you were kind of thinking uh you know I'm stressed so I want to chill out I'll put some music on or if you're thinking you want something to lift you up or give you a boost I think yeah music's the first thing that you turn to for anything from a mood enhancer if you're running if you need to get over that hill that ledge uh all the way through to just calming even if I just play calming music to the baby all of it really does work and I really do find that it's a real gear change the first thing I do when I get into the car uh, after the ignition is the music every single time I'm the same, I have to say. I love it. In my car, in my in my car, see, already, we're very competitive, the whole family, because we all want to be the car DJ. Um, <laughs> so who wins? There's nothing relaxing. Oh, it's n- nobody. Everybody you just loses. take it in turns. <laughs> we try to take it in turns, but it, you can imagine car journeys for most families are pretty fraught anyway. But when everybody wants to be the car DJ, we all have to take it in turns. So... Uh, it gets very interesting shall we say but it's nice I love that they've got that passion for it it's great I mean I do the same thing with my five-year-old though you know sometimes we'll be listening to classic fm sometimes we'll be listening to capital and kind of bopping along to a pop song and I, I think it is great that children are surrounded by all sorts of different types of music at the same time isn't it oh it's so important so important I think the worst thing you can do is actually just force feed one diet of one genre of music 
you, you look, you wouldn't eat one meal for the rest of your life. You just wouldn't do that. And I think to do the same with music and the, the same genre of music, that's a massive disservice to yourself because there's just so much out there. You know, my daughters, they've loved Dolly Parton since they were born because I've played Dolly Parton yeah. and they know the backstory to her rather than just saying this is Dolly Parton if they know she's an amazing songwriter and these are this is where she got her inspiration from and she's got her own theme park and she's really tiny but she's full of huge ideas and she wrote a song that Elvis Presley wanted to sing but actually she said no and then Whitney Houston ended up singing it and you know if you give them a backstory to the person and they buy into the whole package rather than well this is a three minute song and I think that's what's been so lovely about introducing them to music and for them to share in my passion i'm so grateful and so glad that they do have that passion otherwise it would just be me talking like i do now <laughs> to myself and they'd be like she's off again <laughs> how amazing dolly parton is <laughs> yeah oh absolutely absolutely but i love it because they introduced me you know they're always playing camilla cabello and i wouldn't have i would never have necessarily gone to an ariana grande concert um but well, there you uh, go. Uh, nine months pregnant, nine months pregnant oh. I was at an Ariana Grande concert because it's what they wanted to do. So I just think that, you know, how wonderful to have that passion. Good for you. And let's move on now to your next choice. So if you're picking out a music, a piece of music from your past, what would that be? A piece of music that has changed your life or has meant a lot to you or just one that stayed with you for years and years and always been a favourite? So for me, this is ha this is a very easy choice, hands down. It's actually lots of pieces, which are the Planet Suite by Holst. I remember first hearing this when I was, again, living in Norfolk. I was very young and I was so obsessed with it. I remember stealing a CD off um, one of my dad's magazines because I, <laughs> I was just obsessed with hearing Holst over and over and over. And I think what has stuck with me is, again, just how modern it is that you could use any of the pieces in that suite in any movie today and it would, see, it would just sound perfect. It would sound current. In fact, saying that, when I was lucky enough to interview Hans Zimmer, we sat at a piano and we were playing Gladiator because he was showing me how many themes he'd used for Gladiator. And within those themes, a lot of them seemed quite apparently linked, shall we say, to Mars. And I said, well, you know, Mars seems to be a quite uh, a, clearly your, your inspiration here. And he just said to me, show me one composer, one modern day composer that hasn't been inspired by Holst's The Planets. And I thought, well, A, how lovely. That's so honest. But how true because if you listen to venus it is magical it's just so pure and it really does paint pictures when you hear it um when you listen to mars it is the bringer of war you you it's thunderous and jupiter well it's anthemic you know it's it's played in school orchestras all the way through to rugby arenas i just think that it's sports arenas it's something that everybody can sing because it is so anthemic so he could write a good tune as well and it's amazing isn't it it is one of those ones that when you you listen to them they literally leap out of the speakers at you don't they you know and each one offers something so different that it's kind of phenomenal it's a really lovely way to introduce music to children as well because you've got the backstory of this is a planet and this is what it represents and it's it can be cold or it can be it signifies peace and love and, and so they love the story element of it or anybody I suppose irrespective of age but then when you start building on that as a composer you can see why it would be an attractive theme to write about or 
if you are the listener, you want to listen out for the changes, the, the differences between each planet. So it was an inspired choice and you would never know listening to it now that's 100 years old. You wouldn't imagine it. It sounds like it's just come straight out of, you know, Batman or Wonder Woman or any other movies that we listen to now. You're right. It hasn't aged at all. I mean, I did it with my five-year-old for part of her homeschooling as well, because I'm always fascinated about how music makes you feel. And when she's listening to Mars and I was saying, how does that make you feel? And she's like, oh, it's scary or it's creepy or, you know, then Jupiter, oh, it's, you know, it's cheerful. It's And it's so fascinating, isn't it? When even at the age of five, they can quite clearly pick out an emotional response that they're getting from the music. Well, music is just, it's purely that. It is how your it makes your body feel. So you can say to somebody, this should make you feel A, B, C, and D, but you, you can't dictate that really. You can maybe suggest it. But when you hear Mars and you hear the rhythms, and then you just hear that it, how it has translated over to Hans Zimmer's Gladiator, and it's that rhythm immediately, you know there is a battle coming and it is like a war cry. And isn't it, it's interesting how that's such a guttural response response it's, it's it's almost like just yeah being prehistoric again tell me about the piece that you've chosen for your blast then your kind of guilty pleasure the one that you would turn to to blare out i mean there's nothing guilty about it nothing guilty <laughs> about it. i'll play it all day long <laughs> elton john elton john can do no wrong in my books oh. i'm absolutely obsessed with him um and everything he does and i think it's just because he's He's just such an incredible singer songwriter anyway, as we all know, and definitely a character at that. But I love that he's just the full package, whether it's from the entertainment perspective of the costumes that he wears and the way that he behaves all the way through to just the way he writes. I, I don't know how anyone can get lyrics and write around the lyrics. You know, it's, it's quite an unusual way of writing. And yet that's what he and uh, Bernie Taupin He's came up with. Well, it's just incredible because I feel if you're handed lyrics, they've already got a rhythm of their own and they've got a line of their own. You, you know where the line ends. Whereas music, you then have to try and fit it in around those words. And it, I'm just in awe of him. But I think um, that's what they call it, the blues. I think that song is, it's perfect. It's a, it's a masterclass in songwriting. So when would you play that then? Or does that just get played at any moment, any opportunity, whenever you just think this is what I need? My girls are used to me, as they say, killing songs because I'll play it and then I'll play it again and then again and I will just do it 20 or 30 times. And then I find myself lying to them and myself to say, I just wanted to hear something in the third bar or I just wanted just to just listen to something in that verse. Whereas I just want to hear the whole song all over again. I just try and justify it. I just love the way that song makes me feel. And then when Stevie Wonder comes in on the harmonica, I mean, friends in high places, it's just it's just the gift that keeps on giving. It is amazing, isn't it? And it's great so fun you, to play it. I was going to say, do you like playing it as well then? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's not hard to find. If you just Google me playing that song, I play it all the time when people ask me to gig. <laughs> I just say, oh, here's an Elton John song. Because it makes me feel happy just playing it. The chords are really satisfying and bassy. There's a really nice blues feel to it. And as a pianist, um, you can just get on top of those notes. You can just feel them. It's it's not something that's a delicate piece to play. It's a fun piece just to dig into. And it's, it's just a really satisfying performance all round or just for me maybe <laughs> does, does that count as sort of your favorite piece to play if someone said okay you've only got one piece that you can play for the rest of your life and that's it you know what piece would it be that you'd pick 
I, I'm a bit of a pub pianist. I like a song that everyone can sing. I know some pianists who are just exceptional, who from a technical point of view, they can just blow you away and you can sit and watch them. But I think I'm more of a social animal and I just want everyone to come in and join me. I've got this vision of everyone putting a glass on top of the piano and, and singing along. So yeah, I, I think I'd always pick a song over a piece. You were talking earlier about your childhood in Norfolk. One thing that you've spoken about recently that I'd love to talk to you about is about race and how that was for you growing up, because I know that you've spoken about this and I was really shocked and moved by what you said on social media, because you talked about the things that children had said to you, how they had been to you, the attitudes that you faced and... I found that really upsetting and I just feel awful that you had to go through that as a child. I mean, how... No, I don't want... I, don't how want, did I didn't want anyone at, to feel that. Time? No, but I mean, you know, it was obviously something that, that you wanted to speak about. It's, it's a time, I think, of hopefully change at the moment. It's a time, I hope, where people are open to discussing things and to making sure that, you know, our world is a kind of better place moving forward. I think you can only talk about your own experiences. You can have an empathy to what someone else is going through and try your best to understand. And I really do try and make sure my children listen more than they speak because I said it's so important to open your ears up before you open your mouth. It's so important. Listen, listen, keep listening and, and listen even more on top of that. And I think that there was most definitely, especially a few weeks back, but let's keep the momentum as best as we possibly can, where any difference is celebrated or I suppose just just try to understand it a little bit more I was talking to someone the other day and they said you shouldn't call yourself mixed race you should call yourself dual heritage it's offensive and I just thought hang on you're not mixed race you're telling me what I should call myself and it's these rules and regulations that everybody then feels that they feel that they're in a position to say and I just thought well actually I don't know what it feels like to be a black man living in America and I don't know what it feels to be a blonde woman like yourself living in the UK but I do know what it feels like to have a Filipino mother and an Austrian father and to have the experiences that I've had. And I think what was interesting is when I put that post up, there were a lot of people who like me, when you're mixed race, mixed race Asian or Pacific Islander or however else you are seen or you you see yourself, that's a whole other place that no one necessarily understands because you don't really belong anywhere. It's a funny one to explain if you've not lived that life. But I found that suddenly I found, again, my tribe, people who had been through similar experiences, people who had been subjected to similar situations and had felt the same things. So I think first and foremost, I can't keep saying to my girls to be the change they want to see in the world if I'm not doing it myself and opening up a platform of open speech and, and just to be able to keep that dialogue going. It's massively important to not just bury anything underground anymore. But I think it was it's also really important the way that you were saying that I think people, you know, even if they're not doing it consciously, uh, uh, you said that they would refer to someone as a Filipino or the Filipino if they were talking about the nanny or I'm something like by that. that. And it, no, no, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I think so many people do it so easily. I live in North London and I've got friends who live in South London and just you see it a lot. You hear it a lot and it's not even seen as something that's offensive. And the Filipino community is an exceptionally loving, warm, Absolutely. polite community. People say, well, you never hear them say anything, them say anything. Well, that, because they'll lose their jobs. If they speak up, if they say anything, they'll lose their jobs. What do you want them to say? So I think if you are in a position to say something and point it out, I've got friends who said, my goodness, you know, what? I, I have said those words and I've meant nothing by it, but I won't say them again. Mm. And that's enough already. That's enough of a change just to acknowledge that you can't just you don't own someone. You can't say, 
you know, I'm going on holiday. So my Filipino girl is around for the summer. I've heard that so many times in some North London circles here and my jaws just hit the floor. And and when I do say something again, it's questioned why I feel I can say something because, well, you're not like that because, well, what I am like that. That's exactly what I'm like. You know, I have Filipino heritage and um, you don't own anybody. And that kind of language is not appropriate anytime. And yet... I'm sure you've heard it yourself. Well, good for you for speaking up about it, because I think, you know, it's only sometimes as well when people are confronted with this and and someone like you is in a great position to say, actually, you know, this is what I hear and it's not acceptable that that change starts to happen. I suppose if you put another word in, if I said, you know, my English cleaner, you'd look at me like, well, why she's put English Mm. in there? But it's okay to say my Filipino cleaner, like why can you say that? She's not your anything. I I can't, it's the language, but it is, it's derogatory. Looking at the music world, do you think that there's enough diversity? Do you think there are enough diverse role models for younger children, for mixed race children, for black children who are growing up and thinking, I love music. I'd love to be in the, I mean, I suppose the classical music world in particular, but I don't see anybody else who looks like me. I think that the classical world got quite a hammering recently and I thought that Sheikhu Kanu Mason, his response was a really measured, um, sensible response when people were saying that, you know, you don't see many mixed race people in the world of classical music. And I most certainly didn't see anyone that looked like me growing up in the world of classical music. But then I could also argue in the world of pop. I mean, I can name many of the mixed race girls that are in pop from Nicole Scherzinger through to Mutia Buena. I can name them because there are very few of us. But I think it's just a case of, not everyone has had the opportunity or the exposure to know that those chances or those opportunities are available to them. So it's not a case of, I feel that people have been blocked. I just feel that they haven't even had the opportunity in the first place, which brings us back around to what I said at the very beginning of our chat, that I didn't even know that some of these jobs existed, let alone that I would be allowed to do them or able to do them and find those opportunities. So I think we have a responsibility just to be able to say, look, if you would like to do this, this is what you need. It's not enough just to say, I have a dream. I'd like to sing. I think I've got a good voice. Well, that's the start. That's the first rung of the ladder. It's far from the last. Well, then you're going to need this skill set and you're going to need to have tough old skin because you can have a lot of doors shut in your face. But at the same time, when that door does open, that window of opportunity that you get, then you're going to need A, B, C and D to be able to get to the next stage. You're going to, there's so many things that you need from a support network around you to just do the practice like sometimes that doesn't even occur to people that what you mean I need to know the words off by heart it's like yeah so there are a few surprises along the way as well though I think that you have to be able to help yourself too so when that opportunity does come you can grab it but um I do think the one there are a couple of jobs out there that actually it doesn't matter where you are from if you have got the credentials and you've got the talent, you can do it. And I think sport is one of those. Um, And uh, music is certainly one of those opportunities as well. It doesn't matter which school you went to. It doesn't matter what your accent is and what your parents' job might have been and how much you have in the bank. If you have a raw talent and someone can spot that and you're willing to work hard, then I think that uh, music and sport, that the results do speak for themselves. You can hear a good voice or see a good pianist or see that someone can win a race, irrespective of their colour, creed, religion, belief, background. It's, you can see that. Mylene, I watch you play and it is amazing. I am just awestruck. I would love to be able to play like that. I think for anyone who's wanting to get more music in their life, wanting to learn an instrument, I mean, obviously you have put 
so much hard work into practice. I don't know what sacrifices you, you've had to make, but I, you know, I imagine that's hours and hours and hours on a weekly basis, isn't it? Of hard work to get you where you've got to. Can anyone play? Is it a question of just sitting down and putting the hours in or are there just some people that have a gift where, you know, you hear it and you can play it? I mean, there are definitely cases where I've, I know I've got musician friends where I can hear a piece and play it and they can't, but they can read a piece and play it and I can't. You know, everyone has definitely got a talent in their field. There's no doubt about it. Some people are like athletes and they can play concertos and symphonies and go on and on and on and on for two, three hours. And other people don't have that concentration or, you know, everyone has got their talent within their talent. And I think that it's just about recognizing what you're good at. I love music, but I'm not a drummer. You know, you can't do everything in your field unless you're Beyonce. But I think it's really important just to identify what it is that you do and just honestly practice and work harder than anybody else. That's it. That's the key. And people think there's a secret to it. And I'm like, honestly, just put the work in. It's just something that you do get better at. You know, I, I make a joke of it, but, you know, it's I, my girls will not sit at the piano of their own accord all the time. Sometimes they will. And if they've got an exam coming, the fear is what sits them at the <laughs> piano. But they're normal children. Yeah, they're normal kids. I don't want them to be doing eight hours a day. That to me isn't normal. Um, and I know there are children out there that do eight, nine, 10 hours a day and fair play to them if that's what they want to do. But I also want my children to have a rounded education, a rounded feel for life as well. I want them to be able to enjoy their lives. And so I make sure music is a part of it. But at the same time, I have to give them balance. Otherwise, they'll know only music whilst some might think that's a wonderful treat there are there that's maybe my dream but it might not be theirs so I want to make sure that they can also start a car with some jump leads which I make sure they learn to do very and know good the boxes I said to the girls right you know you know you have to know the different screwdrivers and I said to Ava pass me the screwdriver what's it called and she knew it was a name of a guy and I think she said is it Tom is it Bob and I was like oh goodness me it's a Phillips it's a Phillips pass me the Phillips it's a Tom it's a Bob I was glad that she knew that it had a name I suppose but I just, I just think you need to you know especially as a woman and you'll know this as well as a woman you know admit it or not like it or not we do have to work harder and it's not how it should be and hopefully we're going to be the generation that leads the next generation to be able to enjoy that change but you know we are expected to have the babies and hold down a job and a household and do all of those things and still be able to look after ourselves it's like there's a lot on our on our shoulders and I revel in the challenge of it all but also I try not to to fall under the weight of it all so I think that honesty that women have with each other and that we should have with our children and help prepare them for their future lives and jobs. I think there's, you know, that we're well on the way now of enforcing and encouraging that change, but uh, there's still a way to go. But speaking honestly about it is more important than uh, denying that it's not going on. Absolutely. Well, Mylene, you are doing a magnificent job of it. Thank you so much for joining me this week for the podcast. It's been brilliant to talk to you. I'm so grateful. Good to I see mean, you. I mean, throw much. in a cup of tea and I feel like you and I've just been having a good old girly <laughs> chat. <laughs> I know, or a glass of wine. We'll do that next oh. time. <laughs> I'm in. Thank you so much. Thank you. Here's to that glass of wine next time. It was so great to speak with Mylene. Big thanks to her for talking to me so openly. I'm going to have to practice that party trick of hers and see if I can play the piano backwards too. Well, inspired by Mylene's musical choices this week, I've got a suggestion of my own for you to listen to. It's Sanson's Carnival of the Animals. 
Like the planets, it's got several distinct movements and each one represents an animal. So it's great to listen to with children to see if they can work out just what animal it is. If you want to hear the music mentioned today, it is all available at the Companion playlist. Take a look at the link in the show notes. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please do share with a friend and leave a review. It'd be great if you could do this as it helps the show to be discovered by new listeners. So a big thank you in advance. This podcast is produced by Renee Richardson with B Duncan and exec produced by Chloe Murphy at Sony Classical. I'll be back next week with a new guest to discuss their last past and blast. Make sure you join me then. Bye for now.